Galatians chapter 3. Last week we were talking about the two paths uh, that were before the church. And so Paul lays out those two paths. We, we gave the illustration of hiking, um, hiking around, what was it, uh, Calaveras big trees and taking the North Grove versus some other type of trail that would be more difficult. We said uh, it's important to look down to the trail guide. If you don't look down to the trail guide, you could either get lost or go in a direction that you're not anticipating uh, going down. And so while Paul does the same thing, what he does is he lays out the two paths and then he looks back to the Word of God and he goes back to the Old Testament and he shows them where these two paths lead. So the very first path that he talked about, that first path of the path of works or the path of the law, and that led to judgment. And so he showed from the Word of God where that goes. And really, if you remember, one of the things that is true is that Old Covenant law was there really to identify when God would bless and when God would judge. If they lived under the law and they sacrificed as they were, to, were supposed to, then God would continue to bless. God had already chosen to bless Israel, and so that blessing would continue. But if they went outside of that law, if they broke God's law, then there would be judgment. And so one of the things that we talked about last week is remember our traffic laws in California are not here to reward good drivers. They are to penalize reckless drivers as seen by the law. And so that's the same thing that happens with God's law, all right? And so it's not to reward good behavior. So the law was never meant to gain God's grace. That was never the avenue at which someone was to take. Instead, it was the line at which you knew if you were crossing, there would be judgment. So that's what the law was all about. We're going to see how that unfolds in just a second. We also talked about that path of faith. And so uh, Paul brought this up. He goes back to Habakkuk. And so uh, remember what's happening in Habakkuk's life. So he's a prophet of Israel. He sees the way that the, the God's nation is going. And uh, there's lots of wrong things. There's red flags coming up all over the place. And so he seeks out to the Lord and uh, he asks why this is happening. And, and this is God's reply. And we looked at it in more depth. But just to sum it up, God's reply is this. Trust me. Trust me. I am doing things that you don't even understand. And so know that I'm working behind the scenes. And then he goes on to say this. He says, the Canaanites have no guide, but Israel is uh, the righteous live by faith. Uh, that's the quote there. The righteous shall live by faith. So the Canaanites have no guide, but really the righteous shall live by faith. So he takes that idea and he reminds the people that it's not through this trail over here of works which we gain God's blessing, all right? or we gain heaven, or we gain God's grace. Instead, it's really by faith. And that's always been so. And, and Paul takes that back, and he goes back, and he looks at Abraham. And he could have looked at many people and saw that idea of grace. But uh, that's where we are this morning. Uh, we are looking at those two paths, and we're kind of finishing up here. Today, we see Paul's conclusion to that promise 
the righteous live by faith. So we want to get an idea of the context here. And so we're going to start in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. And I'll have you stand out of respect for God's word. We're going to read the whole passage to get the context here. And then we will uh, get to the second part of this passage. So notice there in verse 10 it says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evidence that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The law is not faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for another opportunity uh, today to talk to a missionary, to be able to uh, sing uh, praise to you, to be able to give uh, to you of what you have generously given to us. But also, Lord, to be able to once again uh, focus on your word and to really identify these two paths, that one path of, of works and the law and that one path of faith. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would use your word as you see fit again today. And so we think about this predicament that uh, the, the church of Galatia finds themselves in. So there's this group that wants to bewitch them, that wants to take them in a completely wrong direction. And so Paul is writing really in love and in concern uh, for these people. And so, Lord, help us never to fall in the same place as we find the Galatians today. But also, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, continue in our own lives to help us to respond to you in faith. Help us to realize that really... Uh, your blessing and, and salvation uh, comes through faith and not through obedience, obedience to the law or obedience to whatever list we might put together, but that truly uh, salvation is through faith alone. That is the avenue in which we receive your grace. And so, Lord, help us to stay and stand confidently in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we continue today, we see Paul's uh, first claim here as, as we're kind of wrapping up this whole idea of the righteous shall live by faith. And so the very first thing that I want to point out is found in verse 12. We didn't look at this last week, but we'll look at, the, I'll look at this this week. And so notice there in Galatians 3.12, the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. Now, Paul's not saying that the law is the enemy. He's not saying that the law has no worth. Really, everything that God does is important. And obviously, God gave the law to Israel, the covenant law, and it does have a purpose, and it is important. Matter of fact, Paul brings up the importance of, of the law in, in Romans. And so in Romans 7, uh, 12 and 13, he says this, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me, though it was good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so 
Paul gives us, in, and actually he's going to give us another illustration here in Galatians, a little bit later in, in a further lesson, he talks about the fact of why we are given the law in the first place. Again, it's not that the law is bad or it is wicked or that if we just ignore the law, then we're okay. Uh, Paul is not saying that. Matter of fact, Paul says the law is holy and is righteous. So why have the law in the first place? Well, the law was really to give us a standard to tell us that we're sinners. God already knew that we were sinners based upon our life. But if we didn't have a law, if we didn't have a list, we would go through life and think, you know what, I'm doing okay. Why am I doing okay? Because I give money to the church, and I go to church, and I'm kind to others. And, and so maybe we create our own list of how we can live and earn God's favor. But when God gave the law, he put us all in the same plane, whether you were Jew or Gentile. We were all told, you know what, we all fall short. And so that law was given really as, as a list to say, you know what, you're not perfect. The law was never to uh, earn salvation, but really the law was given so that we would know we needed salvation. We needed this avenue of faith. And so Paul talks about this idea of the law uh, here in verse uh, 12, but the law is not of faith. But then he continues here, and uh, he says something else about the law. Well, if you look down there at uh, verse 12 and notice, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And so Paul brings up a, a second idea here, that really the law is, is for those who do it. And so there's a big question, and really as I begin to study out uh, this passage this last week and, and dig more deeply into it, I begin to realize that there is a debate at why God used this passage. Again, we talked about in the, the first two verses that Paul would open up the Word of God and he'd go back to the Old Testament and he would prove from the Old Testament why these things are true. So the question is, in verse 12, why does he use this portion of Scripture? Now, this portion of Scripture is found in Leviticus chapter 18. So I encourage you to flip over, hold your place there in Galatians, but flip back to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus is in the Old Testament. If you start from the beginning of the Bible uh, in Genesis and you start flipping uh, towards the back, you'll arrive there in Leviticus. But I think it's important for us to give the context. Because Paul is using it for a purpose. And remember, Paul is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He has studied the scripture front to back. And so he knows what the Lord means when he says this. And so he is quoting it for a purpose. Our question today is, why? Why? And so I, I say that because there is a debate about why Paul uses this passage. Get an idea here. We do want to get the whole uh, passage. So Leviticus chapter 18, starting there in verse 1, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. All right, the very first thing that we need to address is who the speaker is of what Paul just quotes. All right, so it's not Moses. Instead, what happens here is Moses is, is being told something by God, and, and really it's God's desire for Moses to take what God is about to say and tell Israel, 
uh, what God said. So he is kind of the in-between. He's the go-between here. And so God's speaking to Moses. Moses is supposed to speak to God. And so what we have, or not speak to God, but speak to Israel. And so what we have here is not just God's word, the Bible, but this is actually literally the words of God. That is what Paul quotes in Galatians. He quotes the, the words of God. All right, so now the question is this. Let's continue on here in verse 3. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. All right, so the idea is their laws and statutes. In the context here, um, the Lord is actually talking about some of the things that happen in, in Egypt and in Canaan in, in a, in a uh, family way, in a, in a sexual way. And, and he's saying, you know what, what they did back there in Egypt should not be a part of you guys. And, and where you're going to Canaan, there's also some wicked things uh, that happen there. And you should not be a part of that either. And so God is identifying to Israel what is that line, okay? Don't do this and don't do that. And notice that very last thing he says. He says, you shall not walk in their statutes, okay? So what they think is correct and, and the way that they perceive things, don't follow that, okay? And then God tells Israel what they should follow, all right? So we see that in the very next verse. And verse 4, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. And then notice there, and this is where Paul quotes, this would be the quote here. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. I guess the quote actually stops here and uh, not uh, I am the Lord. But if a person does them, he shall live by them. All right. So maybe you're here today and you go, okay, so what, what is the concern? What is the debate amongst uh, Christians? Well, number one, all right, this is the very first thing. I'm going to highlight this in a different color. We're going to use green here. The very first question is, what does God mean when he says live? All right, what does God mean when he says live? Does he mean physical life? Don't do what, what, they do in e what they did in Egypt, and I brought you out of there. Don't do what they do in Canaan, where I'm about to send you, because I want you to have physical life. So some people, they look at that as physical life. Second of all, they see that as God's blessing, all right? It's a quality of life. We want you, uh, he's giving them this command or reminding them of this command because he wants them to live under God's blessing. And number three, the idea of eternal life and so those who do it will have eternal life so that's the first thing that is debated uh, what is god talking about when he uses the word live all right and then this is another question that is brought up if a person does them now this idea of doing something is connected to this idea of live so really we have to understand what live is and then how our doing things affects that live or that life. And so that's really the debate that goes on is how are my works associated to this word live? Because that's what God said to Israel and that is what Paul is pulling out. He's quoting this from the Old Testament. Again, he understands he actually understands this 
far better than I do because he studied the, whole, the, the Old Testament scripture far more than I did. Remember, he was a, a Pharisee that was rising up even faster than some people of his own age. And so Paul knows exactly what he means by using this. And so I don't presume to know exactly why Paul quoted this, but we do know this, all right, that the law was never to earn salvation. So we can rule out that life as being eternal life, because I don't believe that the law was ever to earn salvation. If that was so, then we could live under the law and earn our salvation. But again, Paul says here in Galatians, that is absolutely not possible. And so it's not that way. Then another idea is, well, maybe it's just life, period. Well, of course, the, the people that live in Egypt, they're doing these things that God does not like, and they continue to have life. And the people in Canaan, the same thing. They're doing these things, and of course we know God's about to go in there or uh, bring his nation through there, and he's going to conquer Canaan. But they're doing something as well, and they continue to have life. So I don't think it's just physical life. At the same time, I don't think it's quite eternal life. But one thing that we do know about the law is that it was connected to God's blessing. Because remember, God told Abraham, that I will bless you and that you will be a blessing or your offspring, I should say, will be a blessing to everyone. God had already chosen to bless Israel prior to the law. All right. So the obedience to the law was not connected to God's blessing. God had already chosen to bless. So that law instead was that where that they would go from blessing to curse. And so I think what God is, is saying here is that those who do them, those who follow this law will receive my blessing. I think that's what Paul is saying here. I mean, I, that's what God is saying here. And I think that's what Paul is quoting as well. Again, look there at verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now, the question is, why does Paul say that the law is not of faith, but at the same time, he says, those who do them shall have, shall live? That's another question that people uh, bring up. And, and the thing that always gets me is, he has in here, rather, rather. But the law is not of faith, Rather, the idea is there, there's something else that is true. The one who does them shall live by them. And so I believe what, the way that Paul is using this, the words of God spoken back in Leviticus is this way. The people of Israel were judged based upon their obedience. But that is not the way that faith works. We don't, we, our faith in Jesus Christ is not based upon our obedience to God. Matter of fact, uh, we, uh, um, we just sang that, that, uh, that song, or Ralph sang that song, and, and to think about the fact that we are secure in Christ. That it's not based upon 
our keeping our faith or keeping our salvation, but truly our salvation is held on to or we're held on to by God. And so I know that there's two different ideas in the world. One is that mankind holds on to God, and if we let go, then we become unsaved. And the other idea is really that God holds on to us, and the Bible teaches that God holds on to us rather than we hold on to God. And we looked at that several weeks ago when we talked about assurance of our salvation. So I think this is the way that Paul is using this. He's demonstrating that the law was based upon obedience. All right? You do this, and you're rewarded with this. You do this, and you're cursed with this. You're judged. It was all based upon obedience. And so he brings up what, what God said because, again, they were living in God's blessing. So they were... Therefore, God says, don't follow the lifestyle of the Egyptians and the Canaanites, but remain in my blessings and in my statutes. And again, as, as we think about uh, this idea of our, tra- our current traffic laws here in our state, uh, if we were driving down the road, and we gave this illustration last week, going 85 miles per hour, and we saw the speed limit was posted as 55 miles per hour, and we saw a highway patrol officer, we could expect to receive a ticket. As soon as we see those lights uh, flashing in our mirror, and we know we have to pull over, we can expect that we would receive a ticket for, for speeding. That is because the law is based on the condition of our obedience. It's a condition of our obedience. And this is different from saving faith. The gospel is not based upon our condition of obedience, but on our condition of faith. So the question is, do we really believe that Jesus Christ did come? Do we believe that he lived under the law? Do we really believe that he died in our place? Do we really believe that he was buried and that he rose again? Do we really believe those things? And if we believe those things, and we've accepted that, and that alone, and the Bible says, we are saved. And so what Paul does with this verse, I believe, is he says, there is no way for us to walk down this path of works and this path of faith. Either you are trusting God to save you, or you are trusting in your flesh to save you there's no way that we can trust god and say then i must do these things to save myself and that's exactly what's happening in the church and so in galatia some judaizers have come in and they said hey it's it's all good and everything to put your faith and trust in in jesus christ and the work of the cross but don't you realize it's just the beginning now you have to do all these other things to be right with god and paul says no Either you go down this path, the path of works, or you go down this path, the path of faith, but there's no way to go down both paths at the same time. And if you've ever been on a hike, you know this to be true. When the split comes on the trail, and there's a sign that says, go this way for the South Grove or the North Grove, and there's, there's another one that says, go this way to the river, there's no way for you to take both ways. Either you go this way or you go that way. 
And so what Paul does is he draws a line in the sand. And he says, don't you realize that the law is not of faith? And then he gives a, a, an illustration that the law is all about obedience, whereas faith is all about trust. It's all about claiming God's promises and trusting God's promises. So he draws a line there. He says, okay, these, this, this idea of the law, just know that it is not this way. We can't be on both paths. Instead, it's this way. All right, so I know I've taken a long time this morning to give us kind of a, an, illa, a, an introduction, but now we want to get into uh, really what Paul is talking about here when he says that this, the only way that we can take is the path of faith. The only way that we can uh, have God's righteousness applied to our account is by faith. And so he's going to make his, his argument here. And so this is very important. And he makes a very valid argument here. Number one, Christ redeemed us. All right? Christ redeemed us. We don't redeem ourselves. We're not earning our way. Instead, it is Christ who redeemed us. And we see this in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Again, we've talked about the fact that when we go outside the law, that comes with a curse or that comes with judgment. And so Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now that word uh, redeemed in the Greek means to deliver. It comes from the group, uh, root word that means to buy or to purchase. And we see this in the New Testament. Let me give you an illustration of this very thing. This is in Matthew twenty twenty eight, And it says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, all right? This is the idea of, of payment. This is the idea of redeeming something. And uh, in the Greek, there's really one word that has this idea of, of redeem, this idea of buy back. Uh, but in the Hebrew, there's actually several words. And so to get a fuller idea of what Paul means here, I think that we need to look at some things in the Old Testament. Because again, Paul's, he's, he's opening up the Old Testament, and he's looking back to some of the things, and he's trying to make his argument based upon the Word of God. And so I think that as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ has redeemed us, we need to consider what redeem was back in the Old Testament. So there's four terms. The very first term is, is uh, this. The first term used for redemption is, has a legal context. That is when an animal can be substituted for a person or another animal. There was this in, in the Old Testament, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. The firstborn of both male and beast were to be the Lord's. They were either to be sacrificed or they were to be redeemed. So it, the, the, uh, the firstborn of, of your home, the, the, I think it was actually the first uh, male of your home, was to be redeemed. And so you would actually give an animal, and then actually later on uh, in Numbers, you could actually just pay, and then you could redeem your son. But that firstborn was supposed to be the Lord's. It's the same thing with some animals. Some animals, the firstborn was supposed to be the Lord's. You were either supposed to sacrifice them or to give another animal to redeem that. And so that's the first way in which the uh, Old Testament talks about this idea of redeem. It's in a legal sense. It's swapping out an animal for a man or an animal for another animal. It is a substitute, all right? There's a second idea here. 
The second term was used primarily in relation to family rules. All right, God always desired that Israel be have a part of, of uh, Canaan or whatever was designated to their family they always had. And so one of the things that he did is he said, you know what, if you are a relative, you have the ability to redeem that property. And so we actually see this in the book of Ruth. All right, in the book of Ruth, we have uh, Ruth, and, and remember, she has, she has left, she has gone back. She does not have a husband, and so uh, she, uh, her and, and Boaz start having eyes for each other. And uh, so this is what Boaz says, okay? And so this is found in Ruth 3.13. Notice what Boaz says. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you. That is the person that is closer to you as far as family relation, okay? He gets first choice if he wants to redeem you. And then he says, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So this is what's happening in the book of Ruth, all right? There's a piece of property, and and it is now owned by a widow, okay? And so Boaz says, there is someone that is closer to you, and if he will redeem you, then great. He could have the property, and he could be married to you. But if he doesn't redeem you, I want you to know I will redeem you. So this is something that God had given to Israel, that if, if they owned a piece of property, that property was, was to continue to be theirs. And so they could redeem that property. So that first idea is a legal context. That second idea is a family rule. And then we see the third aspect. All right, that third aspect was to cover sin. All right, to cover sin. And so in the Old Testament, we also see this idea of redeem to cover sin. I'm going to give you an illustration of that. The illustration actually comes from the law. The illustration is given in the preference of what happens if one of your animals kills someone else. All right? What is to happen in this situation? So this is from Exodus 21, 28 through 30. When an ox goes, or gores, I'm sorry, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, and the ox shall be stoned. And his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox uh, shall not be liable. All right? So if an, if an ox kills someone, then the ox um, is judged. Verse 29. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned. Notice the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall be put to what? Death. And so this is according to the law. All right, According to the law, if, if your ox gored someone and they died, the ox, the ox dies. However, if you knew that you had a bad ox and that he could kill someone and you didn't do anything about it, guess what? That ox dies and you should die as well. Because you didn't protect your fellow neighbor. All right? That's what the law states. But now notice in verse 30. If a ransom is imposed on him, that is the owner that had the bad ox, he shall give for the redemption of, uh, of his life 
whatever is imposed. And so there was a cause here, all right? If, if I had an ox, and I knew it was a bad ox, and it, was, it gored people in the past, and they didn't die, and I let it continue to do things, and all of a sudden it gored you, and you died, and your family said, Pastor, your life is ours. But if you give us some money to cover the cost, then you could be set free, and you won't have to die. And that's the, actually the idea of redeeming. That's the idea of delivering. And now, all three of these contexts, these are all three that a person redeems individuals. But there is another redeemer found in the Old Testament. And that is God as redeemer. But one of the things that we need to note, and the reason why I give you these three is because in Christianity, there has been some confusion about how Christ redeems us. And they look at these three ways and they say, God must have redeemed us in this way. But when we look at how God redeems in the Old Testament, it's different. So let's look at God as redeemer. The very first way that uh, is different than, than the regular Old Testament person is that God redeems people as a whole. All right, And so we talked about individuals, individual land, individual person who, who gore someone else. We talked about the firstborn, that's an individual thing. But when we look at the way that God redeems, God redeems people as a whole. And this is an illustration of that. This comes from Exodus 6.6. 6. And so notice here in Exodus 6.6. 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. All right? And so what is God going to do? He's going to redeem you. And who is the you? That is all of Israel. All right? That's not one person. That's not, that's not Moses. That's all of Israel. God is going to save all of Israel. He's going to redeem them and bring them out of slavery. All right? So God redeems everyone. And we see that, or, or a whole people group, and we see that true here in John 3.16, a very familiar verse. For God so loved, what? The world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, what? Eternal life. And so God did something. He delivered, he redeemed from what? From the punishment of sin to have eternal life. All right? And so the redemption that we see God using in the Old Testament is a little bit different than what we see individuals use. But there's a second thing that is true about this redemption that we, we must point out today. God redeems with his power. All right? God redeems with his power. Now, in all three of the illustrations that we gave, they would pay something, they would pay some type of fee, and then they'd be redeemed. Okay, whether it was the firstborn, whether it was the property, whether it was the person that was gored, all of them would do something, and then there would be something that would benefit them. It was, a, it was a, like a, um, you do this, we'll do this type of thing. But again, what we see here in Exodus is that God is not paying Egypt, all right? 
Notice again here in Exodus 6.6. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. And then notice how that redemption is done with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I point this out because God is not paying off the Egyptians so that his people could be set free. Instead, what we see in the Old Testament is that when God redeems, he redeems with his power. Now, why is that important? That is important because once we get back to the New Testament, so go ahead and flip back to Galatians. Once we get back to uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, notice, by becoming a curse for us. And so there is this idea that there was no way that we could redeem ourselves. There is no way that we could save ourselves within our own power. But it had to be God's power that saved us. And so the reason why I bring all of this up is because there has been this idea over the years uh, by, by the early church and by some Christians that God paid Satan off. That when Christ died in our place, that, that he paid the ransom and he paid Satan so that we would be free. But that's not how God redeems. God redeems through his power. All right? And so uh, we do need to note that. That when we talk about God as Redeemer, as we talk about Christ as our Redeemer, he did that through his power. So he says, I, and there in the uh, Exodus, I redeemed you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. All right, so it could only be through Christ. If God had to redeem us because he is the Redeemer, then it had to be Christ. It could not be ourselves. But then notice what else Paul says here. For it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. There's something else that Christ did for us that is true. And uh, this is, uh, again, pointing to what Christ has done for us in John 3.17. We already quoted, quoted John 3.16. The very next verse says, there, for, says this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him and so there's an idea of redemption happening there and so paul is about to connect the dots for us so again the question is this all right if we have two paths in front of us and one of them is a is a works path and so that is if we obey the law we can somehow earn salvation and then there's another path in front of us and that is the path of faith and so uh, the lord has told us uh two things all right number one that uh, it is God who has redeemed us, and he's redeemed us through Jesus Christ. Not that he paid a fee, not that he paid off Christ or paid off Satan, but instead he redeems in his power. There's a second thing that is true, and that is that God, when God redeemed us, that Christ became our substitute. All right, and so Christ is our substitute. And this is really the goal of the, or this is really the gospel today. Christ lived under the law in our place. Christ died in our place to take upon our judgment, which we earned. And when we put our faith in that perfect sacrifice, the fact that he died in our place, that he conquered the grave, 
then we receive the blessing that was offered to Abraham, that blessing that was extended to all mankind. And so Paul kind of brings us full circle now, starting in verse 1. Remember what Paul says here in verse 1. It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And then he goes on to say this, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? And again, walking down this path of faith. And then later on he says this in verse 9. So then, those who are faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Again, he says this is the path we ought to be on, that path of faith. And then he closes out this section by saying this. So this is Christ Jesus. The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so what Paul has done for us in this short time is he has taken us on a journey. In that journey, we went back to the Old Testament. We began to identify what God has already stated. And remember, Paul said, trust that that suffering Savior, trust God who has given us the Spirit, trust the power of the Holy Spirit, and trust God's Scripture. And that is exactly what Paul has encouraged the church to do over and over and over again. He's gone back and he said, do we trust God? If God said this was the way, do we trust God? Matter of fact, in that portion of Scripture in Leviticus, he said, don't do as these nations do but follow my rules and my statutes. What he was saying was, trust me. And this other group has come in. And they have said, what you need to do is you need to do these other laws and these other statutes. And instead, really, what Paul has identified us is that we simply need to trust God. That really, the righteous live by faith. And so that's why... He says that in verse 11, for the righteous shall live by faith. So the question is, where do we stand today? Are we relying on our own good works, our own effort? Maybe we have a list in our mind and it's, it's maybe like give to the church or serve the church or be a pastor or be a missionary. Or, and we, we have this list of things that we do for the Lord. That's the law obedience but that's not faith faith is trust and so the righteous shall live by faith and so it's not works-based salvation it's faith-based salvation that's what paul encouraged the church you got two paths in front of you all right there's a path of the works and the law there's a path of faith know that jesus christ is the way he has redeemed you he died in your place so that you might be saved. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision, that is the decision that you need to make as well. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about how God is patient. He is waiting for you to put your faith and trust in him. He's given you a gift, a gift through grace. That gift is Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is accept it by faith. That's all you have to do. Again, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the challenge here today. We thank you for the truth encouraged or taught to the church that there is one of two paths that they can go on. And the Judaizers want to see them do faith and then also do these, these works 
associated with the law. But help us to realize, Lord, that there cannot be, we cannot walk on both paths. That we either choose one path or we choose the other path. Because the path of the law is through obedience, but the path of faith is through trust. And so, Lord, uh, for those, maybe they're kind of like maybe just right in the middle. They're not really sure exactly what path they're on. I pray you'd work in their heart and allow them to take a path of faith. Put their faith and trust in the work of the cross. The fact that he died for us. The fact that he was buried for us. The fact that he rose again, proving that he was who he said he was. And so we pray that you would continue to work in hearts. And for those of us that are Christians, Lord, help us not to get caught up with thinking that we can somehow earn God's favor or earn God's blessing after salvation. But help us to realize that you love us with a perfect type of love after salvation and that there's no way that we can make you love us more based upon our obedience. But help us instead just to have faith that you will keep your promise to us. But also help us to bring you glory and honor by doing what you would want us to do. So not a workspace, but a servant base. Help us to serve you because you have saved us. In Jesus' name.